National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with the National Council of Catholic Men, presents The Holy Agony. He cannot kill me until I have done my work. And I have three days' work to do. If we enter this world of sacrifice as he entered the garden, then we need never fear the outcome. Why are we already won? Politics again will fail. Economists again will blunder. Foxes will be caught in their own trap. Schemers will be caught in their own schemes. But because these hundreds of thousands of chosen souls have been signed with the sign of the cross and sealed with the seal of salvation, because they have borne their cross in Christ in that hour, they will rise with Christ. This war to them is the sowing of a seed. Evil has its hour. But God will have his day. Episode 2. Father, Worker, Terror of Demons. For the Feast of St. Joseph the Worker. Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing publicly to expose her, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in his sleep, saying, Joseph, son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which the Lord spoke by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and bring forth a son, and they shall call him his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And Joseph, rising up from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took unto him his wife. And he knew her not until she brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph, my Paul Cordell, 
when the tools are put in their places and the day's work is done, when between Carmel and the Jordan, Israel falls asleep in the wheat fields and the night, as when he was once a young boy and it began to get too dark for reading, Joseph enters with a deep sigh into conversation with God. He preferred wisdom, and she had been brought to him for marriage. He is as silent as the earth when the dew rises. He feels the fullness of night, and he is at ease with joy and with truth. Mary is in his possession, and he surrounds her on all sides. It is not in a single day that he learned how not to be alone anymore. A woman won over each part of his heart, which is now prudent and fatherly. Again, he is in paradise with Eve. The face which all men need turns with love and submission toward Joseph. It is no longer the same prayer and no longer the ancient waiting since he has felt like an arm suddenly without hate the pressure of this profound and innocent being. It is no longer bare faith in the night. It is love explaining and working. Joseph is with Mary, and Mary is with the Father. And for us too, so that God may at last be allowed, whose works surpass our reason, so that this light may not be extinguished by our lamp, and his word by the noise we make, so that man cease, and your kingdom come, and your will be done, so that we may find again the beginning with boundless delight, so that the sea may quiet down, and Mary begin, she who has the better part, and who consummates the struggle of ancient Israel, inner patriarch Joseph, obtain silence for us. with your 
sleep with a drink in his hand. I'd always try to grab it before it spilled. He wasn't always a charming drunk, and once he got older, he wasn't always mean either. He was usually worse the next day. This was a tough time for us both, and I can't say I didn't dread spending the time together. I was a selfish kid. But he was no saint, that's for damn sure. The one thing I always think about is how he never let go of my mom. He surrounded himself with her memory. He indulged in it. He didn't have any real desire to move on. Even as he had girlfriends later, it was never anything but a distraction. As a young man, I had social programming. It told me to encourage him to cleanse his life of the reminders so that he could move on. So he wouldn't be crippled by looking back, haunted by longing and nostalgia for what she was, or what they once were. He never listened to me. To be honest, we never got along. He wasn't a good guy when I was a kid. He never beat me senseless, but he was a dangerous drunk and an expert in cruelty when he was threatened. And that never really wore off. It didn't help that he was well-loved by friends who never knew what he was like at home. At the same time, we were close. It's hard to explain. It took a long time to figure out that what he'd done all those years wasn't my fault. I'd say more than half my lifetime. It's unbelievable what can happen to a child's mind when they're young. And yet all of this doesn't amount to regret or anger or sad memories. In a way, it was like I was watching someone live out a sentence or their karma. This person who'd been so cruel had lost the love of his life so early. He'd never recover from it. I often wished it was him who would have died. That she was really special, and I can't remember ever thinking that she was even a bit like him. For all the selfish feelings I had when I 
I was younger. I still loved him, and thankfully I was able to forgive him before he died. And that's something I feel is a rite of passage. It's something I wonder about when people have kind, gentle fathers. How will they learn what I learned? How can they ever learn how to forgive? Like most alcoholics, he loved deeply. He did his best with what he had. His upbringing didn't set him up for success. His mother was an abusive and cruel person, and yet he still lived a rich life and was lucky, fortunate to have lived so intensely and fully. I forgave him, not only for what he did, but sympathized with him for losing the jewel of his life and never moving on. Later on, I respected him for never letting go. He never let other people sway him from her memory. He committed to her for life, knowing it was all he ever had, all he ever would have. I think of my boy, and how important it is to me that he'll never see me as cruel or dangerous. It makes me feel good to know he'll never take a glass from my hand every night. But I also pray he'll forgive me and my shortcomings before I die, as I'm certain I won't be anything close to a perfect father. And if my son is anything like me, he'll be a wild animal. There won't be any way to control him. I just hope to keep him out of jail and make him as wise as I can for the time I have left. Honor thy father. Forgive and try to understand. Allow him his failures and remember to count his victories. He's a human. The only perfect father is our Lord God. seat of my father's car and he's driving on Main Street in East Hartford at night. It's raining lightly. We drive by what I thought was a church, but I realize now it must have been a funeral home because there was no church in that location. And there's a bunch of the, the old Frenchmen from the neighborhood, like my grandfather who we still lived with back then, and they're all wearing hats and dark suits and their wives are with them with plastic bags over their hair so it doesn't get ruined coming from what I assume now must have been a funeral and when I see them I suddenly have this vision of myself old like them and in church and something possesses me to say to my father that when I get old I want to be Catholic like grandpa and he just looks at me like I'm insane. And he says, why would you want to do that? And he tells me, either then or later, probably more than once, the story of getting wrapped on the knuckles with a ruler by a nun and getting kicked out of Sunday school. But even back then, I was being drawn to where we came from. 
but I could understand why he wanted to run from it himself. His dad died suddenly in 1972. By 1979, it was apparent himself, and two months later, my sister died in her sleep. I didn't realize until just now that both of those things happened within a five-year span of his life, and that I arrived immediately afterwards. I kept drifting away from where we came from in my own way for years, but that moment in my dad's car haunted me. We lived with my grandfather until I was about 12, and he was like a, a father to my dad, and sometimes to me too. We grew apart after we moved away and I became a teenager. The first time I spoke to him on the phone in county jail, he pretended that he couldn't hear me, and I knew he was ashamed. He barely spoke English anyway, so there was nothing to say. The next time I saw my grandfather, he was in a casket in that funeral home on Main Street in East Hartford, and I was in handcuffs. A marshal drove me to his wake in the rain, and when we got there, I spent five minutes alone with him, and then they drove me back. also produced this um, public access TV show called Labor Beat. It was like a labor union, workers' rights type show, and they would do all these sorts of demonstrations and stuff. And so I have this one memory that sort of encapsulates um, my childhood in a way. Um, it was second grade, so I was seven years old, and it was May 1st was the day. And so my second grade teacher... Uh, Mrs. Weinberg asked the class if anyone knew what today was. And so I raised my hand and I stood up and I said, um, you know, that, that some anarchists uh, threw some dynamite into Haymarket Square and killed a bunch of people. And the police rounded up like the local uh, labor union activists and hanged them in public, but they were innocent. And, um, that's what I thought she was looking for, because that's what my dad taught me. Um, and it was only years later, looking back on it, that I realized, you know, this was second grade. She was just, you know, looking for that it was the first day of May. But um, anyway, that's the sort of environment I grew up in.
um, parents divorced through the end of high school. I went to college. Dad was in sort of midlife crisis, and um, my first couple summers, I, I went back and lived with him in his sort of bachelor pad, as he was like dating and drinking and stuff. And um, he got me a job where he was working, so I lived with him for those summers. And um, so he was always, uh, you know, a little crazy with conspiracy theories, like JFK assassination, 9/11 was an inside job. But um, at that point, it was getting worse, you know, thinking the government was spying on him and stuff. So I just have these memories from that summer of, like, driving with him to work um, on Lakeshore Drive as he's, like, road raging about traffic, talking to me about, like, reptilians and how Paul McCartney was replaced. So um, it just wasn't a good situation. And um, so during college, I became religious. And... um, I guess conservative, I guess. My dad had this breakdown at work. You know, um, He ended up getting workers' compensation for uh, like hypertension, but it was basically he wigged out, he freaked out. And um, so it was sort of a breakdown. Um, but he ended up visiting me you know, on his way to California, where he was going to go and um, move in with a girlfriend or something. And um, I remember him like sharing with me these letters from prisoners he was corresponding with and like um, like handwritten receipts from Burger King um, and you know I sensed sort of like a uh, psychosis you know he was he was you know in sort of breakdown um, whatever that was but that um, that year too he gave me this and I visited he gave me this pile of journals that he had written in his 20s you know Um, until uh, he had my oldest sister. Um, And I never read them because I thought that was just awful. (laughs) I didn't want to read them. But I carried them with me wherever I moved. And um, I finally read them this year, and it was really fun. Um, So I just want to share, like, one journal entry from these journals uh, from my dad in his 20s. This This is a Pope joke. It was titled A Pope Joke. So the Pope was experiencing symptoms of heart disease, chest pain, shortness of breath. And the papal doctor informed him of the bad news that unless he received a heart transplant soon, he was going to die. So the Pope emerged on the balcony before the adoring crowds gathered in St. Peter's Square and announced that he needed a heart transplant and called for a volunteer to donate their heart. And many of the faithful began to shout, take my heart, take my heart, hoping that they would be chosen to donate their heart. So overwhelmed by the heroism, the faithful... Um, the heroism of the faithful, the Pope, receded back into the loggia to think about uh, how to decide which person would be chosen to donate their heart. And the Pope came up with an idea. He was going to drop a white feather off the balcony, and to whomever it fell among the crowds, that person was going to be chosen to donate uh, their heart to save the Pope. So he dropped the white feather off the balcony. Um, but as it fell towards the crowds, you know, they kept shouting, take my heart, take my heart. And the feather kept whooshing back up. And it would fall back down, and they'd say, take my heart, take my heart. And the feather would go whooshing back up. Um, until finally the white feather fell into a muddy puddle and was torn apart by the hands of the crowd. I'm thinking about sending him uh, a link to this and, you know, just want to say, hi, Dad. Uh, I love you. And I respect you. And I love you very much.
California led us in New York City. Texas cattle in Miami. Tennessee whiskey in Portland. Ever wonder how it gets there? Most likely, it's a whole lot of trailer trucks. You have a lot of time to yourself when you drive truck for a living. Despite my best efforts to numb what little cognitive abilities I do have with podcasts, audiobooks, music, or silence, I can't turn the motherfucker off. You just keep thinking about stuff. When I was younger, I had some Reddit-tier beliefs about having children and the further propagation of the human species. And uh, I'm happy to say I've grown past those beliefs and I now have two beautiful daughters. And thank the Lord or the universe or whoever you want to attribute credit for to that. When you drive truck for a living, you also get to see how the proverbial sausage is made in so far as how our economy functions or doesn't function, the weaknesses within and the, how shall I put this, the less than impressive performance of those who are managing all of this and are ostensibly in charge of those of us who do the work. And I do often wonder, what am I, what kind of world am I handing my daughters to, or handing to my daughters, where mostly dysfunctional, mostly retarded jackasses run the show, and there's not really very much we can do about it, no matter how many of Curtis Yarvin's pills we might want to pop. But you have to stay optimistic, you have to think positive, because this is it, you know? And that road keeps rolling out in front of us, and pretty soon my daughters will be at the wheel, and, uh, all I can hope is that they let me teach them how to operate in 18 speed so the transhumanists and all their technology technology don't fuck them out of being able to actually experience life and aim it for themselves.
Down with teachers. Down with government. Down with the police. Can you build anything down? There is a dominant minority that makes a lot of noise and that uses violence to force its will upon others. The revolutionists without a protest, they only know what they're against, kind of a rifle death, destroy property, Burn homes, do anything to enforce their will. It's my will or nothing. No alternative, no compromise. You are now watching the phone. Don't let instituted the Feast of St. Joseph the Worker. That's the feast that we're celebrating today. In his address to the Christian Association of Italian Workers on that day, he said that it was his desire to give Christian baptism to May the 1st so that it could be an annual reminder to the modern world that social peace will be brought about through the concrete and progressive triumph of Christian ideals. Now the question arises, why did Pope Pius XII choose May 1st for the Feast of St. Joseph the Worker, not some other day? Why did that date in particular require what he called Christian baptism? Well, the most obvious reason was the one that he gave in that address to the workers in 1955. In that address, the Holy Father implied that the first day of May which the world of labor had claimed for itself as its own proper feast day, was too often used to incite men to discord, hate, and violence. But what did the Pope mean by that? 
Well, he was referring to May Day, May 1st, which the first Communist International in 1889 had declared to be International Workers' Day. So it was the violence and atheism of the Communists that Pope Pius XII wanted to counteract by instituting the Feast of St. Joseph the Worker on May 1st. But we need to see that this significance of May 1st goes much deeper than that. Because the question needs to be asked now, well then, why did the communists choose May 1st in the first place over any other date? What sort of importance would May 1st have for them? Well, there's probably more than one reason. One of the biggest reasons is because the international society that was the major forerunner of the Marxist communist was founded and introduced on May 1st, 1776. On May 1st, 1776, Adam Weishaupt, an apostate from the Catholic faith, and at one time a professor of canon law at Ingolstadt in Germany, on that day, he founded the evil society of the Illuminati. And the goals of the Illuminati were as follows. One, the abolition of all monarchies and ordered government. Two, the abolition of private property and all inheritance. Three, the abolition of patriotism and nationalism. Four, the abolition of family life and the institution of marriage. Five, communal education of all children by the state only. And six, the abolition of all religion. May 1st, 1776, the goals of the evil order of the Illuminati, the ideas which radically influenced the horror of the French Revolution, and the ideas which radically influenced the Marxist communists. Well, although the Illuminati went underground because the Christian kings discovered their plan, their ideas again surfaced in 1848 in the Communist Manifesto by Karl Marx. The goals of Marxist, eight, Mar Marxist communism, as stated in the Communist Manifesto, are practically identical, almost word for word, as those proposed by the Illuminati of Adam Weishaupt in 1776. But another question comes to mind now. If the Marxist communists chose May 1st as their feast day, as a continuation of the program of the Illuminati, then why did Adam Weishaupt of 1776 choose that day in the first place? May 1st. Well, it has to be borne in mind that many of the founders of the Illuminati and also revolutionary Marxism were occultists. I think in one of your books you, you said that in those early days you were surrounded by the off-scouring of the earth. Is that what... No, I said we ourselves are the off-scouring. That's, that's right. My dad has always had a kind of complicated relationship with alcohol. At this point, 
I think it's safe to say he's an alcoholic. But when I was a child, I never witnessed him drunk. It was always something that he did in private after everybody else went to bed. The only times I did see him drinking was when we were on vacation. He'd want to you know, relax, have a good time, drink some beers just like anybody else. One of my earliest memories was of our first family vacation. I was probably two or three years old. Me, my mom, my dad, and my grandma went to Myrtle Beach. I was really little, so I don't remember anything else about that vacation, but I do remember the first time that I ever saw the ocean. We were on the beach and my dad scooped me up in his arms and carried me out into the water. He waded out about waist deep, which meant the water was kind of probably over my legs. And when the waves came, the waves would come up and hit me around my neck. I remember I wasn't scared at all, but I just had this profound sense of how very, very little I was. And the ocean was so, so, so big. But I felt so safe with my dad holding me. My dad is half Italian, so he's a really hairy guy. And I just remember clinging like a little animal to the wet fur on his chest. And I could smell the beer on his breath. Um, and I just, I just felt so safe. I knew nothing bad could happen to me because my dad was protecting me. Years later, when I got older and started falling in love with boys, it's funny to me looking back because every boy I've ever loved was hairy and smelled like alcohol, just like my dad, which as you can imagine, didn't always turn out great for me. It's just weird how those accidental qualities of my father, uh, the hairy chest, the smell of booze, came to represent for me all these much bigger, beautiful, transcendental qualities that he was manifesting that day with the ocean all around us of love, strength, protection. And I've sought those qualities out in all my relationships with men since. I don't really know what the point of this story is, except that it feels like a good example of how stupid and foolish we all are. All of our desires are always oriented towards God, the ultimate good, all of our addictions, our compulsions, but we confuse and misidentify everything. Our desires are disordered. Like, what I desire isn't actually a hairy Mediterranean ne'er-do-well. What I want is to feel safe and protected, which is how my dad made me feel that day. And the reason that I desire it is because he was acting as an archetype of my heavenly father, in whom all of my desires end. As St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they rest in God. I didn't care enough about work.
good at it until my daughter came along, and it quickly became the only thing I was good at. I didn't know anything about being a father either. What I did know, I learned from my grandfather. Show up early, stay late, keep your word, never complain, never show pain. I brute forced my way through the first ten years of her life. I was an ex-con with a marginal work history when she came to the picture, coasting through life at a Burger King where I'd met her mom. I talked my way into a job at a country club by greatly exaggerating my culinary experience, and I killed myself to survive. I got up early, came home late, worked 12-hour days, seven days a week if they let me. I would walk my little girl to the bus stop at daybreak and find her struggling to stay awake to see me when I got home at midnight. As the 70 hour weeks made my relationship with her mom deteriorate, she'd sneak into the bed so I wouldn't be alone. When I get a day off, she'd make me breakfast and rub my back until I could move. I missed a lot and made her grow up too fast. Things happened when I was gone. People got in her ear with bad ideas when I was working. I went into the country club as a dishwasher, and I left as a sous chef and a single dad with a hernia. I crashed and burned, got a normal job, married and had another family. The younger kids love her, and she loves them, but she knows she's not really one of them, not in the same way. Their dad isn't the same one she knew. What I thought made me strong was just a preoccupation with the material. I was weak, like the boy she brings around now. I failed to keep the demons out.
Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let us pray. Lord, have mercy on us. Christ, have mercy on us. Christ, hear us. Christ, graciously hear us. God, the Father of heaven. Have mercy on us. God, the Son, Redeemer of the world. Have mercy on us. God, the Holy Spirit. Have mercy on us. Holy Trinity, one God. Have mercy on us. Holy Mary. Pray for us. Saint Joseph. Pray for us. Illustrious Son of David. Pray for us. Light of the Patriarchs. Pray for us. Spouse of the Mother of God. Pray for us. Chaste Guardian of the Virgin. Pray for us. Foster Father of the Son of God. Pray for us. Watchful Defender of Christ. Pray for us. Head of the Holy Family. Pray for us. Joseph Most Just. Pray for us. Joseph Most Chaste. Pray for us. Joseph Most Prudent. Pray for us. Joseph Most Valiant. Pray for us. Joseph Most Obedient. Pray for us. Joseph Most Faithful. Pray for us. Mirror of Patience. Pray for us. Lover of Poverty. Pray for us. Model of Workmen. Pray for us. Glory of Domestic Life. Pray for us. Guardian of Virgins. Pray for us. Pillar of Families. Pray for us. Solace of the Afflicted. Pray for us. Hope of the Sick. Pray for us. Patron of the Dying. Pray for us. Terror of Demons. Pray for us. Protector of Holy Church. Pray for us. Guardian of the Redeemer. Pray for us. Servant of Christ. Pray for us. Minister of Salvation. Pray for us. Support in Difficulties. Pray for us. Patron of Refugees. Pray for us. Patron of the Afflicted. Pray for us. Patron of the Poor. Pray for us. Lamb of God, who takest away the sins of the world. Spare us, O Lord. Lamb of God, who takest away the sins of the world. Graciously hear us, O Lord. Lamb of God, who takest away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. He made him the Lord of his household. And prince over all his possessions. Let us pray. O God, who in your ineffable providence were pleased to choose Blessed Joseph to be the spouse of your most holy mother, grant that as we venerate him as our protector on earth, we may be worthy to have him as our intercessor in heaven. You who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. Amen.